Welcome to Celebrate Poe. My name is George Bartley, and this is episode 134, A Brief History of Halloween. The music for the intro and outro for this podcast is from Come Rest in This Bosom, said to be Edgar Allan Poe's favorite song. For the rest of October, instead of looking at Poe's life from a chronological standpoint, Celebrate Poe will take a look at some of the elements of the history and development of Halloween, especially some of those that have uh, an Edgar Allan Poe connection. Next week, Celebrate Poe will examine some works that have been referred to as Poe's Halloween poems. The selection might surprise you, especially since Poe is frequently called the Halloween poet. So join Celebrate Poe for Poe's Halloween Poems. Then during the last two weeks of October, I want to delve into The Black Cat, one of Poe's most familiar stories. The Black Cat is a story that may seem rather simple at first, but is an incredibly complex psychological study. Now, my first thought about this episode was that the tradition or celebration of Halloween began so far back that it couldn't even remotely have anything to do with Edgar Allan Poe. At least, that's what I thought uh, at first. You see, the tradition began with the ancient Celtic festival of Samhain, when people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts. Now, let me stop here with a note about pronunciation. Celtic, spelled C-E-L-T-I-C, looks like it should be pronounced something like cell, C-E-L-L-T-I-C, but the word is actually pronounced as Celtic, almost as though the word begins with a K. And the M is silent in Samhain, a word that's actually spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. I know the first time I saw that word, I, I, I pronounced it totally wrong, way off base. I have to use a memory aid, and you again, you know, you, me and my memory aids, I have to use a memory aid to say the word correctly. So here again, I go with one of my memory aids. Think of a female hog a Samhain, or S-O-W, running along, snorting in her attempts to win a race. It always helps to uh, somehow put some sounds and physical actions into a memory aid. So you have Samhain, kind of nonsensical, but that way I started pronouncing the word correctly as Samhain, S-O-W-I-N. You, you have to consciously think about it until it becomes second nature. For several weeks, I would pronounce the word as Samhain, closer to Salmon, rather than Samhain. Confused? Okay, just remember Samhain, S-O-W, Samhain, is the ancient celebration that most scholars believe evolved into Halloween. Now, getting back to the actual celebration of Samhain, and this is where there's a little connection to Edgar Allan Poe. 
You see, legend has it that Stonehenge, the structure of upright stones in England, was used in the celebrations of Samhain. Of course, Poe would not be born for hundreds of years, but in June of 1840, Poe wrote an account for Burton's Gentleman magazine, an American monthly review that was called An Account of Stonehenge, The Giant's Dance, A Ruin in England. Well, hello, Mr. Poe, right when we need you. Greetings, Mr. Bartley. I was talking about the celebration of Samhain and mentioned how you wrote a piece for Burton's Gentleman magazine, an American monthly review about Stonehenge in 1840. Uh, Would you care to read the opening paragraph aloud? Certainly. The pile called Stonehenge is an assemblage of upright and prostrate stones on Salisbury Plain, England, and is generally supposed to be the remains of an ancient temple. From its singularity and the mystery attending its origin, it has excited more surprise and curiosity than any other relic of antiquity in Great Britain. It is situated about two miles directly west of Amesbury and seven more north of Salisbury in Wiltshire. When viewed at a distance, it appears but a small and trifling object, for its bulk and character are lost in the extensive space which surrounds it, and even on a near examination, it fails to fulfill the expectations of the stranger who visits it with exaggerated prepossessions. To behold this wonder of Britain, It should be viewed with an artist's eye and contemplated by an intellect stored with antiquarian and historical knowledge. Stonehenge, notwithstanding much that has been said to the contrary, is utterly unlike any monument now remaining in Europe. And uh, this might be as good a place as any to mention the transcripts that I always try to have for each episode. To read the actual script for each episode, go to www.buzzsprout.com. Again, that's www.buzzsprout.com. And there you can find a transcript for the episode by clicking on the title of that episode and then on the word transcript. You might want to note that I try to spell uh, Samhain using its proper spelling, S-A-M-H-A-I-N. But in my personal transcript, the one that I follow when I record this episode, I have Samhain. S-O-W-I-N. Otherwise, I would probably mispronounce Samhain every time. Anyway, getting back to Edgar Allan Poe and Samhain, Poe, at least on the surface level, was aware of one of the physical relics that we associate with Samhain, and in turn, Halloween. Samhain specifically commemorated the end of the harvest season and the blurring of the physical and spirit worlds. 
The blurring of the physical and the spirit worlds, in other words, life on earth and life after death, took on a new emphasis. The Celtic people who lived 2,000 years ago, mostly in the area that is now Ireland, the United Kingdom, and northern France, celebrated their new year on November the 1st. Now, by the way, I don't know if this is of any importance or not. I kind of doubt it. My birthday is on November the 1st, which led to a lot of bad jokes among my parents about calling me a treat, or if I was naughty, a trick. No wonder I was confused. I mean, what kid likes to be known as a treat, or worse yet, a trick? But getting back to the historical development of Halloween, in the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November the 1st, the day after Halloween, as a time to honor all saints, and the holiday started taking on Christian influences. Soon, All Saints Day incorporated some of the traditions of Samhain into what was called All Hallows' Eve and later Halloween. Over time, Halloween evolved into a day of activities like trick-or-treating, carving jack-o'-lanterns, festival gatherings, and eating candy, often lots and lots of candy. Besides taking on Christian influences, the holiday also started taking on European myth and later even uh, American consumerism. I'm sure that we all went trick-or-treating as kids, you know, dressing in funny costumes with candy and maybe scary stories and not really sure about the original meaning of Halloween. Now, if our ancestors, you know, way back saw that... uh, Uh, saw the way we were remembering what most likely started as Samhain, they would be completely baffled. Now, the original Samhain day marked the end of summer and the beginning of harvest and the beginning of the dark, cold winter. This was a time of year that was often associated with human death. Remember, the belief had developed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October the 31st, it was believed that the ghosts of the dead returned to earth. In addition to causing trouble and damaging crops, uh, the Celtic race uh, as a whole thought that the presence of the otherworldly spirits made it easier for the Druids or Celtic priests to make predictions about the future. See, we have to remember that this was a people uh, totally dependent on the volatile natural world and knowing, or at least thinking that they knew, how crops in the future might fare. This would be an important source of comfort during the long, dark winter. To commemorate the event, The Druids built huge sacred bonfires where the people gathered to burn crops and animals as sacrifices to the Celtic deities. During the celebration, the the Celtic people wore costumes, typically consisting of animal heads and skins, and attempted to tell each other's fortunes. By the way, I had to look up uh, Celt so that I didn't say C-E-L-T, Celt, instead of Celt. Well, when the celebration was over, 
they relit their hearth fires, which they had extinguished earlier that evening from the sacred bonfire to help protect them during the long winter to come. Now, by uh, 43 AD, the Roman Empire had conquered the majority of Celtic territory. And in the course of 400 years, uh, that where they ruled, ruled the uh, Celtic lands, two festivals of Roman origin were combined with, with the traditional Celtic celebration of Samhain. So you've got uh, Samhain and then two Roman festivals. And they both bear a little bit of note here. The first was Feralia, Feralia, or F-E-R-A-L-I-A. This was a day in late October when the Romans traditionally commemorated the passing of the dead. Not surprisingly, this day often had its supernatural elements. The second festival was a day to honor Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. In other words, a celebration of growing life. The symbol of Pomona is the apple, and the incorporation of this celebration into Samhain probably explains the tradition of bobbing for apples that is practiced today on Halloween. So you could say that the day before November the 1st is a combination of three holidays. First, the Celtic holiday of Samhain. Two, Feralia the passing of the dead with its supernatural elements, and three, Pomona, a celebration of growing life, such as crops to come. Then, now we're going on down the line, uh, May the thir- on May the 13th, 609 A.D., Pope Boniface IV dedicated a special day at the Pantheon in Rome in honor of all Christian martyrs. Ah, yes, the rotunda at the University of Virginia was modeled after the classical architecture of the Pantheon. Well, Mr. Poe, I'm so glad to hear you say that. You know, that's right. Mr. Bartley, it is not necessary to be so condescending. My apologies, Mr. Poe. Now, getting back uh, to uh, Rome here, uh, Pope Gregory III later expanded the festival to include all saints as well as all martyrs, and he moved the observance from May the 13th to November the 1st. By the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands, where it gradually blended with and replaced the older Celtic rites. Then in 1000 AD, the church made November the 2nd All Souls Day, a day to honor the dead. It's widely believed today that the church was attempting to replace the Celtic festival of the dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday. All Souls Day was celebrated similar, similarly to uh, uh, to Samhain with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints, angels, and devils. The All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows or All Hallowmas, and the night before it, 
the traditional night of Samhain in the in the Celtic religion began to be called All Hallows Eve. It didn't take long before the day became known as Halloween. Now, while Halloween developed into a regular celebration in Europe, the holiday was observed on a very limited basis in colonial New England. This was because the rigid Protestant belief systems there were so influential in the New England states. But the celebration of Halloween was far more common in Maryland and the southern colonies. As the beliefs and customs of different European ethnic groups and the American Indians meshed, uh, a distinctive American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Neighbors would share stories of the dead, tell each other's fortunes, dance, and sing. Colonial Halloween festivals also featured the telling of ghost stories. I think it kind of hails back to England, where you certainly did not want to go outside at night, but gather around the fire and tell ghost stories, especially at Christmas. For example, the most famous ghost story of them all, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, is associated with London and the holiday of Christmas. But of course, there was also mischief making at all kinds of all kinds at Halloween. By the middle of the 19th century, annual autumn, autumn festivals had become common in the United States, but Halloween was still not celebrated everywhere in the country. In the second half of the 19th century, America was flooded with new immigrants. These new immigrants, especially the millions of Irish fleeing the Irish potato famine, helped to popularize the celebration of Halloween in this country. Now, Mr. Poe, uh, not a great deal is known regarding how you personally celebrated the day of Halloween as a young lad, so I was very excited to run across a letter from John Allen's niece, Mary Folds, about his, she, how she spent their Halloween. The letter is from Kilmarnock, Scotland, to John Allen when he lived at Southampton Row in London. Oh, yes, I would have been a young boy. True. Would you read a portion of Mary Fowle's letter? Certainly. We are often wondering how you are all coming on indeed when we are all met together at night. As you know, I am always engaged at school through the day. You generally engross part of our conversation. We dined and spent the evening at Mrs. Fowles, the grandmother, on Halloween, and according to the custom of Scotland, we burnt our nuts and pulled our stocks. I, I was just making the observation that had you been here, you would have enjoyed it highly. I thought it was cool how she was talking about burning chestnuts as a Halloween custom. Now, to continue this episode's look at Halloween's development, well, Americans began to dress up in costumes and go to houses, house to house asking for food or money, a practice that eventually became today's trick-or-treat tradition. 
Young women believed that on Halloween they could divine the name or appearance of their future husband by doing tricks with yarn, apple parings, or mirrors. Then in the late 1800s, there was even more of a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday that emphasized community and neighborly get-together instead of ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. Parties focused on games, foods of the season, and festive costumes. By the 1920s and 1930s, Halloween had become a secular but community-centered holiday with parades and town-wide Halloween parties as the featured entertainment. Despite the best efforts of many schools and communities, vandalism began to plague some celebrations in many communities at this time. By the 1950s, town leaders had successfully limited vandalism and Halloween had evolved into a holiday directed mainly at the young. And between 1920 and 1950, the centuries-old practice of trick-or-treating was also revived. Trick-or-treating was a relatively inexpensive way for an entire community to share the Halloween celebration. In theory, families could also prevent tricks being played on them by providing the neighborhood children with small treats. So, therefore, in summary, a new tradition, a new American tradition was born and has continued to grow. Today, Americans spend an estimated $6 billion annually on Halloween, making it the country's second largest commercial holiday after Christmas. Now, today has been a brief look at the history of Halloween, but for the rest of October, Celebrate Poe will take a close look at some of Poe's writings that are associated with the holiday, starting next week with some of the most famous poems in the English language. For the two weeks of October after that, this podcast will take a close look at two of Poe's short stories that are often associated with Halloween, The Black Cat and The Telltale Heart. Sources include the works of Edgar Allan Poe by Edgar Allan Poe, the Edgar Allan Poe Society of Baltimore website, and a history of Halloween from the Inside History website. Thank you for listening to Celebrate Poe, a deep dive into the lifetimes and works of America's Shakespeare, Edgar Allan Poe.